It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Uh, hello, hello, or um, should I be saying good day, mate, um, to Damien. Um, we're on the eve of the first Grand Slam of the year. We're going to be doing a bit of preview on that. Damien, how are you doing? How are you, how are you this January? Yeah, oi, mate. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, honestly, January is pretty tough for, uh, for me, uh, time zone-wise, for sure. Yeah. I'm still recovering yeah. from the qualifying, but now we have to hit the Australian Open courts again. I yeah. think it's in like what's 11 hours that the main draw play starts. Yeah, more or less uh, a little yeah. under 11 hours by now. So super excited to get it going. Of course, it's also the first uh, time we have the Sunday start, which is really yeah. cool. I think really there's not a single person in the world that will get hurt by this. Like it's only good for the event, for the promotion of the sport, for the people who will come to watch, for us to even have like a more diluted pool of matches for us to like get to see more in the first three days as well because of course the first two can get very hectic in the other system not that this won't be hectic like it still will be yeah. a lot of matches at the same time but at yeah. least we'll get to see more thanks to that and um yeah of course we still have some um atp 250 results to to talk about but of course you know you guys won't be surprised the main thing here today will be the australian open yeah, absolutely. Um, plenty to get through. You know, we've got some tasty first round ties in the, the Australian Open, um, some content. Um, as you say, um, Matthew's touched on it there in the chat. You know, uh, Draper Lehechka, first thing this morning, 
um, and suppose a, a surprise winner in Tabio in uh, in Auckland. So we'll go through that, um, and then we'll just look at the draw, um, look at the, the people who can challenge Novak Djokovic for his uh, his bid to go for twenty five. He's eleventh Australian Open. Um, so yeah, plenty to get through. Um, I, th- I suppose no no better place to start, Damien, would be. Um, as I say, the Lehechka uh, Jack Draper match, both players going into that final uh, in Adelaide um, looking for their first ATP title. Did you manage to to catch any of that? Just a little bit. Um, you know, my night was a bit ruined by the year, <laughs> but again, like just trying yeah. to keep myself awake and etc. There was also a challenger final I was watching around at the same time in Thailand, but I, d- I did catch a bit of that. Of course, uh, earlier in the week, I did see plenty of Lehechka and Draper. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, great run for both guys. I think for Lehechka, it just takes off so much pressure of him uh, for yeah. the Australian Open because he was defending that quarterfinal. Now he's got 110 points only to cover for, which is not a massive fall in the rankings at all. And Jack, I mean, everything we've been saying about him, you know, the fact that if he's going to be healthy, he's going to be playing top 20, top 30 tennis easily. Yeah, it's happening. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. I mean, uh, I watched, uh, I think, Jack Draper, Tommy Paul, um, and, yeah. you know, the first set, Jack Draper, you know, Tommy Paul uh, is is no mug, and, uh, you know, the first set, I mean, I, I suppose maybe Tommy Paul was maybe, I don't know, just, I don't know if he was he was struggling with, with fatigue, but, you know, Jack Draper just took the, the, the match to him and, and absolutely steamrolled him, um, and then that, at that point, I said to myself, you know, I think Jack Draper's going to win this event, I mean, I, I knew it was public in the the next round, um, because of the I'd watched the Massetti um, match, um, and you know at times Bublik was 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 lucky to get get through that with and uh, some of the games he was playing. Um, so I, I genuinely thought that, that Draper was going to to come through that, and then Lehechka in the final. Yeah, I suppose it was just a, a toss of the coin. I suppose two contrasting styles, isn't it? You know, Jack Draper's got you know a well known uh, strength in his backhand. Lehechka, um, you know, just fires rockets with that forehand, and perhaps not as strong in the backhand. Same with maybe Jack Draper on the forehand. And I think that was the kind of main turning point in the match. I think it was at 4-all in the second set. Of course, Jack Draper won the first set 6-4. And then at 4-all uh, on the Lehechka serve in the second set, I think it was Love 30. And, you know, Lehechka pulled out a volley, which which kind of changed the momentum of the match, didn't it? If you saw that part. I don't think so. I, I'm not no. sure which point you're talking just, about, no. Yeah, it was four all. You know, Draper was putting pressure on the Lehechka serve. You know, if he'd won two more points, he was serving for his first ATP title. Lehechka puts away um, a volley. I don't know what's going on with my camera, mm-hmm. but I'm back. Um, yeah, Lehechka puts away. You know, a world class volley, and the momentum seemed to shift. He seemed to get you know a lift from that, um, and you know then ended up you know taking that second set, and then eventually the match. Um, Draper had uh, it was three one down. I think he had love forty on the Lehechka serve. Um, uh, in the third set, um, and then uh, Lehechka managed to pull it back. Um, so yeah, um, good title uh, for Lehechka. I was thinking about this when during the speech, Damien, and I don't know if you agree. I thought Lehechka, um, you know, would have made more of an impact in 2023, and I think that Murray match at the start of the year, um, where he where he pretty much, you know, it was on his racket, and, and Murray fought back as as he tends to do. Um, but then he kind of disappeared from the scene. Yeah, I just hope it doesn't happen again. I hope it's not January, February, because after that, it was like a few flashes here and there, but nothing really, which was maybe a little back to the Lehechka that we knew before the 2023 season. Uh, But yeah, this is an amazing start to the year. Of course, I am so excited for him to just maybe start delivering that level again. 
he clearly has it, you know. I'm not saying he's going to be like a top 10 player in this year, for example. I don't think it's really going to happen. But um, it should be a more repeatable play style. You know, he's just getting a lot cleaner and in transitioning to the net. And it should be a little easier for him to do this on a regular basis. Um, yeah. Excited to catch him at the Australian Open as well. I think he's got a pretty nice draw to the third round. So even though sometimes these runs mm -hmm. just right before the Australian Open or any slam, they tend to just, you know, drain you out of fuel. I think for the hedge guy, it's actually very possible to still have a decent Australian Open showing. Of course, I think he's got like Zverev in the third round, which would be really tough. But still getting to the third round would be already quite good, along with this run, of course. Yeah, I think, yeah. So, yeah, he starts off against uh, Zapata Morales, um, and then it's potential uh, Mikkelsen or, or McCabe in, in round two. So, yeah, um, a fairly decent uh, a start to the Australian Open, and it'd be interesting to see um, where he can go. Um, in terms of uh, Jack Draper, of course, a lot of um, you know, uh, a lot of people in the UK uh, keen to see how uh, how he will get on. You know, hopefully this will be the the big year. I think last year he started against Nadal, didn't he, Jack Draper at the Australian yeah. Open? Um, you know, and uh, and you, we both know how that went. But you know, in terms of Draper, where is he now? As as, as John points out, it's two ATP finals back to back. I think. Um, and two losses, um, but you know, surely it's only a matter of time before he can actually, you know, get that ATP title. And, and can he do anything at the Australian Open? Yeah, I mean, he he also won Bergamo just before that uh, challenger, very stacked. You know, first set comebacks against Goffin Nakashima in the semis and in the final, and then of course the final and um, the, the final in Sofia, the final here. That match against Paul that I think uh, Elena is also mentioning, but also you said about it earlier. Like, that's literally yeah. one of the best matches that Jack has ever played, I think. Yeah. And especially on the defense, he was just so flashy with all these counters, passes. Yeah, the forehand, as Elena says, also was was just pretty amazing in that one when, when it comes to the situational shot making. I guess maybe Tommy was trying to target it because sometimes it can break down. But no, on the on the defense, it was just absolutely stellar. That mm -hmm. that is for me like one of the best matches I've ever seen from Jack so far. And uh, yeah, when it comes to the Australian Open, he has a like, gear on in the opening round. So I think a lot will depend on physicality. Tennis wise, it's probably not too close right now. But um, yeah, when it comes to the fitness, we know that Jack has struggled with it in the past. So this yeah. round might take out more out of him than it might for Lehechka, I believe. And also, uh, if he plays Tommy Paul again in the second round, this will very likely be another, like like a much closer battle. He could also face Ketsmanovic in another rematch in the third round, yep. I think, which would yep. be fun. But yeah, I don't know if I see him pulling through Paul mostly because of yeah the fitness though. Yeah, and I think Paul will maybe out for... this, this run got to him. Mm -hmm. I think Paul, you you know, it will be key to see that um, I'm sure his team will be looking back at the, the faults he made in that match and you know yeah. I think maybe a, a sense of you know a revenge on the, on the cards as well interesting that Matthew points out and that was something I noticed in the third set um, Draper's forehand it was very loopy um, it was setting up very nicely for Lehechka and, and you know as I said um, you know, about 10 minutes ago Lehechka was just firing bombs and taking control of the rallies very early on which made it very very hard for Draper to, to hang in there uh, is that part of Jack's game that, that you think, you know, the forehand that he maybe does have to kind of try and get on a par with the with the backhand? Yeah, I, it, it's, a, it's a difficult shot to sort of estimate because 
Um, I think it's it's definitely one of the best and the worst assets in his arsenal at the same time. Like <laughs> yeah. it, it it does have some limitations when it comes to just offense. It tends to be quite loopy, but at the same time, he can just unleash on it. He maybe cannot really like yet dictate with it using all that pace that he has. He kind of is all about that one strike that he gets with it. And yeah. also defensively, yeah, sometimes it is the, the weaker shot. Uh, but at the same time, I think in a lot of matches, the loop that he has with the forehand, it actually allows him to reset the rallies so easily. Uh, I think perhaps especially on clay in the future, this can be a ma- major asset. Uh, Draper is not uh, not like the other Brits in that they, you know, they, they basically cannot play on clay a lot of the time. But Jack is actually going to be good. And I think part of that is actually that forehand. So okay. sometimes it takes away from him. Sometimes it gives him a lot of benefits, I think, especially yet being able to get back into the rally with it uh, by adding that extra height, extra elevation on the ball. I think that's really important in his arsenal. It's a bit of a trademark of his for me as well. So um, I would say that it's a bit of a double-edged sword so far. But overall, the backhand is definitely more solid. I do see in a major sort of room for improvement in his forehand, but it's nothing that he cannot really do. Yeah. I think maybe sort of down the line, it actually could turn out to be the, the bigger weapon that he possesses. So, okay. um, yeah, it's perfectly fine for now, I think, for, for where he is in his career, even yeah. if it has some technical limitations. Yeah, plenty of time to improve. Um, and, uh, and you know, plenty of people in the UK will be keeping an eye on Jack. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll move on because there's still plenty to get through before we even... Uh, touch base with uh, with the, the, the big four um, in the draw. Um, but, you know, I, I want to be, a lot of people listen to this uh, podcast and watch this stream because of your knowledge about players that they may otherwise um, not be aware of. Um, and I wanted to talk to you and find out more about uh, Chilean qualifier Alejandro Tabillo. I hope I'm saying that right, or Tabillo. Um, yeah. Claimed his first uh, tour title on Saturday at the ESP Classic in Auckland. Um, the ATP website says it was with a gritty win against Taro Daniel. Um, I think he took out uh, Arthur Feast today in the semi-final. Um, and uh, yeah, it was just uh, Cam Norrie, I think, in the quarterfinals as well. Um, that was, that was the... a walkover, though. Uh, oh, no was it? Right, two. okay. Right. Do you want to just tell us? You know, what, 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 I know he's 26, he's a lefty, um, he's soared 33 places up the Pepperstone uh, ranking. So just can you tell us a little bit more about this guy? Yeah, I mean, he's uh, car- he's career high is 64, so he's not quite yet where he was two years ago, but I think he's actually well, well uh, like a lot better equipped right now to stay on the main tour than when he first got there. At first, he was like overly reliant on that golden swing in February, you know, on the South American clay events. Uh, he was even 4-1 up in his first challenger final in the fir- uh, challenger ATP Tour final uh, in the third set against Ramos Vignolas. That was a double break as well, so it was a bit of a big choke from him. So it's it's you know it's amazing for him to get there now. Last year, in fact, after these points dropped, he went down to like 180. And honestly, right. I didn't think he was coming back so quickly. But he had a ridiculous season at the challenger level. He went, I think, 41-13, um, and that included like a patch of not really winning any matches for a month or so. So other than that, it was just absolutely stellar. Of course, a couple of, ti- I think two titles, three finals maybe, or something like that. And um, the, the thing is, he does not have to be a clay specialist, not at all. He was um, sort of growing up in Montreal as well. So he is a bit of a product of the Canadian system, actually. He, I don't think he ever represented Canada, but... But he he did grow up in Montreal, so uh, he was trained there. So he is very familiar with hard courts. 
In fact, before this run, you know, maybe not on the ATP tour, but at the challenger level, he did have a few amazing events on card. One of them, Brasilia, at the end of last year, the title that he finished the season with, but also before, like, Puerto Vallarta final, I think Lexington final as well, where he had this famous win against Kokinakis a couple of years back. Yeah, just a very aggressive, left-handed player, you know, who has a, an amazing serve and forehand. The backhand is very flat, can be pretty uncomfortable as well. I think maybe in the past, also athletically, he was a little stiff and probably um, couldn't really handle himself in a rally if the initial aggression didn't fully pan out. Uh, but I, I do find him to be a, a bit more of a complete player at the moment. And okay. uh, yeah, it's it's amazing for him to get this. Of course, it doesn't mean that he's going to be a huge threat at the Australian Open. In fact, I, I don't think he's going to be like you know, a top 20 player soon or something like that. But yeah. he definitely should stick around on the main tour better, I think, than than he has... Um, well, than, than he did when he was in like 2022 when he had that breakout at the Golden Swing. And I think he's playing Kovacevic in the opening round. Yes, yes, yeah. Open, which is just super tough to call. Um, I don't know if the this run will actually hurt him physically. It was pretty short, I guess. The Nori walk over, the straight sets in uh, in the final straight sets in yeah. the semis. But yeah, I mean, Tabilo Kovacevic, they're pretty much at the same level right now for me. So... Uh, it's not really a reflection of of me saying that there's a, some sort of a problem with Tabilo at the Australian Open. I just think he got a an opponent that's pretty much around the same quality. But but yeah, fantastic run for him, of course. And it's not like it's not one of the weirdest ATP finals we've had ever. I think uh, like Basic Kopil from Sofia that definitely takes the cake. But <laughs> um, I, I know it is a little maybe left field, but. Um, this all uh, this uh, often happens, you know, a week before a slam, right? So, yeah, of course. I mean, a lot of the, uh, I, 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 we'll come on to that. That's in my notes, but you know, it's a it's a strange time of year. Um, it's just strange for the sport. You know, a lot of players taking um, time not to play um, these last couple of weeks. You know, especially some of the, the bigger names, which we'll come on to. But yeah, Tabilo's victory um, makes him the first Chilean to win a hard court tour level title since Fernando Gonzalez in two thousand and seven Beijing. Um, and he's also the first qualifier um, to win a tour-level crown since uh, Serendulo in 2021, uh, Cordova. So I uh, thought that was quite a, an interesting piece. Um, so, yeah, yeah, two good victories um, for Tabilo and Lehechka. Um Shall we move on then to the main event uh, in terms of the draw? Um, now, I don't want to make it so cliche of where to start, um, but I thought, why not um, keep the, the Nolly fam off my back um, and start with uh, with Djokovic? You know, where else to go? Um, as mentioned, going for uh, Grand Slam number 25. He's 11th in Australia. He's 5th since he's turned 35. And I think he's 13th since he's turned 30, which would make him uh, or make his Grand Slams. He, he's won more Grand Slams since he's turned 30, which is amazing, um, especially if you watch tennis in the, the 80s, 90s, you'd be thinking, what? Um, but yeah, talk to me about Djokovic. I think he's saying now that, that there is no wrist injury. He's been pain-free since that um, the Demeneur match. Um, no problem there. I suppose he's got to be pain-free if he's doing all this uh, content with Kyrgios and um, and playing cricket on, on the court and, and doing all sorts. Um, so yeah, can we just you know, start off at the top. What about Novak? Is, is it his to lose? Yeah, I mean, when it comes to who is more likely to stop Djokovic, an injury or the opponents, it's pretty close to a tie, I think. So, <laughs> yeah. so uh, that kind of says it all. And uh, yeah, he's won this event so many times. There's really no reason for him to 
stop being like the, the main favorite to win slams yet. Uh, that time has not come so far. Um, of course, he won three of them last year. He was in the final of the fourth one. So unless something major happens, unless he suddenly has a bigger drop-off, he's still mm -hmm. going to be the biggest favorite for it. Australian Open, maybe especially Wimbledon as well. So it's not... Well, at Ron Garros at the US Open right now, maybe we'd be talking about some other contenders, but Djokovic has to be the main one for here, especially if the injury is fine, if it's not going to be anything serious. But, you know, he's before had like... The, the huge abdominal tear against Fritz at the Australian Open. And he still won that event. He survived. Yeah. He survived that third round and then still won the event. So I guess looking at it, you're just sort of like, how is this guy going to be stopped? And I'm I'm not really sure. Uh, definitely the, the draw as well was very kind to him. Like in the first three rounds, you have no one who could really trouble him. I think Shelton is probably the first player when we're talking about like a non-zero percent chance to win against Djokovic, like a 0 yeah. 0.1, 0 0.2. <laughs> but yeah. uh, the main thing is that Shelton was pretty awful in Auckland and like he'll need another, I know he still made the semis, but the returning was back to its 2023 levels. And he'll basically need another Grand Slam peak out of nowhere. We know he's capable of that. But at the same time, if he plays Djokovic at the US Open, he wasn't ready. Like he had that big serve, of course, but he just mm. wasn't ready to play Djokovic. He wasn't ready to use all his assets that effectively and with enough efficiency. And I don't think it's going to happen, you know, overnight. Uh, maybe you could argue that Shanghai, Tokyo, he made a lot of progress there as well. But after Auckland, I cannot really feel confident about Shelton's 1% chance against Djokovic or whatever it is. Yeah. And uh, yeah, basically that's that's what it is for him until the semis, I think. I think Shelton is like the only opponent that could really trouble him because of his unpredictability. Like mm -hmm. Tsitsipas in the quarters, Djokovic is not going to be afraid of that. Fritz in the quarters, maybe Djokovic is not going to be afraid of that. So uh, basically it's only really the other top four players that I think yeah. could trouble Djokovic. After the PTSD I have um, from the US Open final, I cannot really believe in Medvedev beating him at the moment. Right. So I think it would go down to Sinner or Alcaraz as like the two more dynamically progressing players compared to Medvedev. Of course, that's because of age, because of where they are in their careers. Mm -hmm. But uh, the, I also believe in them sort of throwing in something else after the offseason, coming up with something that will surprise Djokovic. A new point. I don't know what that, yeah, I don't know what that would be. But still, like coming up with something that Novak will have to adjust to. So uh, basically, these are the only two opponents I think that I really believe in right now when it comes to playing Novak. I think with Alcaraz, it could be... I'm not saying Alcaraz even makes the final because it's it's a much tougher draw. I don't know if he will. But if we get that final, I think it could work as a bit of a Wimbledon uh, repeat in that... Yeah. I don't know if he wins, but once they actually get there, it might be a closer match than it seems. Big test for Sinner if they meet in the semis as well, if he's actually ready to, to do this again in best of five play after, of course, going to and won against Djokovic in the last couple of weeks in 2023. But um, at this point, when it comes to Djokovic or the field, I have to go with Novak. Well, I mean, and Matthew's posed you a question, um, and it's a good one. Um, you know, he says, as you can see, Novak did so well in 2023 because of the reduced schedule in 2022. The mistake he has made is not respecting that by playing so much post-New uh, York, Saudi and the United Cup had no break thoughts um I, I was wanted to mention this I, I don't think you see it in any other sports um the fact that you know um the, the sport kicks off its calendar pretty much on new year's day um maybe even before that uh, if you talk about the united cup and then you know um 
within two weeks you're into one of the the, the biggest events on its of the year. Not much of a preseason, not much of a, a kind of warm up. Um, a lot of the big players haven't even played a match this year, but they're going to be playing in a Grand Slam. Um, Matthew makes the point that, that maybe Novak should have maybe taken a step back, but I, I know he's he, he's you know he's very um, proud of being a Serbian and he likes to represent them. But you know, thoughts on on Matthew's question? Yeah, um, I think his 2023 schedule was still fairly limited. Although I have to say that, um, yeah, the Davis Cup finals, obviously they were a bit overkill, but well, that's what Novak wanted to do, right? He wanted to win Davis Cup again with Serbia, so that's why he did it. Um, exhibition, you know, he played one against Carlos. Did he play in the Indian thing as well? I don't even know. I wasn't following that whatsoever. But, um, <laughs> I don't but think yeah, I, I think his schedule was still fairly limited, like 12 events or so. He is so good at peaking for the slams at the moment. I don't think this is a major concern. United Cup only had him playing, what, two matches in singles, two in mixed as well. So it's, it wasn't a big strain either. He got a lot of rest after that. Yeah, I don't think you can really consider that big a factor for the Australian Open. We'll see how he schedules himself later on. But of course, in the past couple of years, regardless if it was COVID or not, Djokovic yeah. has only been playing like 12 events, 11 events and uh, basically winning half of them. And I yeah. honestly don't know if we can expect something different this year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I was going to ask that because you mentioned age a little bit about, um, you know, the fact that I think he's about 37 now, isn't it? Um, surely there must come a time, you know, just biologically, that, that these young guns, like, for instance, Sinner um, and Alcaraz, um, you know, surely just biologically these guys should have the edge of them, but he just continues to defy um, but there, there must come a time that the, the body maybe just doesn't move as well as despite all the, the different regimes and the different, um, you know, fitness stuff that he does. Surely they just like biologically, um, there is going to be a time where he just can't, you know, match the, match the younger, the younger men. Yeah, um, we thought that was going to be three or four years ago. <laughs> I know. I, why am I saying yeah. this? I know it's going to be, he's probably going to win all four this year under the calendar slam and I'm going to get this clipped up maybe. by John. <laughs> it's somewhat possible but um yeah i think even if he lost half a step it's not very visible partially because he's more aggressive because he's serving better so over the years he's done a lot of work to make sure that this doesn't hit him as early as possible uh yeah. we've definitely had players who at 37 look a lot worse than novak yeah, of course so um yeah i i just think that for now we haven't really seen anything to suggest it yeah. but that day is coming when well, it I mean, happen. I was going to say though, um, a lot of the matches that I watched last year, you know, it, it, it gave opponents a, a look in and sense like, you know, a lot of the opponents took a, a set off from here or there. You know, Lazo Jer, I think it was, was two sets to level up, but as soon as you know the third set started, you just knew it was going to be um, a five set um, win for, for Novak. Do you think, you know, the fact that maybe in, the, in some of these matches, um, some players are getting the, the odd set off them? Is that maybe a mark of, you know, the fact that maybe he isn't playing as well? I mean, a lot of commentary last year was he's probably playing as well as he's ever done. So I just wanted to get your views on, you know, is there any kind of reading into to that? that sometimes he maybe starts a little bit slower, gives an opponent a set, and then, you know, has to fight back, which he inevitably does. Well, at the US Open, it was just the two sets against Jerry, right? At the yeah. Australian Open, it was the one set against Quaco. I guess the French was a little different, and Wimbledon was a little different, yeah. but... Well, Wimbledon, was he losing many sets? One I think he uh, yeah. was. But Hurkacz yeah. was like absolutely peaking on the day. 
Rublev yeah. may be the first set, but yeah, I think in a lot of these matches, especially the one against Jaira, but also like the, the last couple of years, we've had a lot of these uh, for Novak, for example, when Sinner leads him to Love and Wimbledon, or in, when Nori uh, the day after leads him, or the, the two days after actually, leads him one Love at Wimbledon in the semis. You never really feel like they've done it anything no. to get there like it, no. it's just novak being a little sloppy for a set and i guess yeah this is a part of his game recently uh but it's also not really been taken advantage of too much like yeah it, it, it's only really happened in matches where he can afford it and it's been a while in fact when um like someone went up to love to to set to love against him and it was because of just playing extremely well. It's mostly because Novak is just kind of off. But I think it, it's been happening that at some points the physical side of it has been a little much for him. I think maybe the third set against Alcaraz at Wimbledon is the prime example. Okay. So he, he is kind of sort of known to have a bit of a physical deep now in the longer format, in a longer best of five match. But it never really was like, okay, so he is down now. And that's the match is over. Like, yeah. It's always like a thirty-minute crisis, which in case of in the case of Wimbledon, it, I think it was actually vital. You know, it was so important to the result of the match as well. But mm -hmm. he's he was back in it in the fourth set. He was back in it in the fifth set. So yeah, it, it's been happening a little bit, but probably still a lot less than you would expect. A lot, a lot less than you would expect uh, yeah. at the age of Djokovic. Yeah. Yeah, I think I maybe I'm, I'm maybe getting conflated with you know sometimes in the in the Masters events that he's won, um, it, a lot of them have been three setters and yeah. uh, so, um, a couple of questions and then we'll move on to Alcaraz. Um, uh, Elena uh, is asking, um, well, Damon, who is the Enzo Kuka this year? I don't think Prisma is not uh, not yet at least. Yeah, I don't think Prismic will take a set. I think Mafia is also asking about him. Um, so Dino Prismic, he won Rangaros Juniors last year. He had a couple of good major runs already. Stockholm, he had Umag, Umag semis, Stockholm quarters. But I don't think he's fully ready yet. Like, he is definitely an elite mover. He's very good athletically. He slides into the backhand, you know, in a very modern, uh, modern tennis type of way. Uh, he's very consistent, for sure. He kills a lot of opponents with it. But at the same time, there's still a lot of development in terms of, yeah, just pop on his strokes, dictating, taking initiative. So uh, I think the qualifying campaign that he had was actually pretty easy for him. Idukovic may be the only threat in the second round. So it wasn't like a massive effort. I think in most spots in the draw, Prismic wouldn't be able to win a match. Against Djokovic, I just expect a lot of rhythm for Novak, which is never really a good thing. I think yeah. the match might last long because the rallies will be long, probably. The rallies will be extended. But it's not exactly an opponent that takes the racket away from you. And I don't think that will work well against Novak. So I would I would expect a pretty boring match there, actually. Um, I think Prismic for now is like a little worse than his results would suggest, <laughs> if that makes sense. Usually we say okay. the other way around, but... I do think some of the results that, that he's getting is a little bit of a head, head scratcher. Of course, he's got a wonderful base to to build upon. Um, you know, being 18, being in the top like 150 or wherever he is right now or around that mark. And um, I, I do love his prospects going forward. But for now, I think there's still a lot to work on there. Yeah. And uh, of course, making his Grand Slam uh, debut. Uh, and then there is a chance... Um, of, uh, I mean, we live in hope, um, but there is a chance of Djokovic meeting Andy Murray 
um, on the way, but um, Andy Murray has to get through Thomas Echeverry, um first and or game with Fees as well or Yang Hamman. Um but we'll move on to Alcaraz then. Um just because as I say we've we've got um a few others to to kind of feature. Um but I, I was thinking this morning um as we approached the US Open um at the tail end of last year or, or August September um you know the, the whole narrative uh, media pundits you know fans of the game were just like it's written in stone it's already made it's going to be a Djokovic Alcaraz for you know um because of what had happened at Wimbledon because of what had happened at Cincinnati, people were talking like these two players are, you know, far and away the, the, the best players on the tour. Um, we come into it now and, you know, Sinner is in the mix. Medvedev, uh, you know, is getting spoke about. It's not the same narrative as my point, you know, and in those six months, you know, is that all down to Yannick Sinner, you know, closing the gap on maybe Alcaraz and Djokovic? Or is it because Alcaraz maybe hasn't, you know, um, you know, reach the levels as he did maybe at Wimbledon. Um, uh, so, yeah, I just wanted to kind of explore that because, I don't know, I, I think Alcaraz was very tired towards the end of last year. Um, so I just wanted to look at, uh, you know, his his chances. Um, he's got a tricky draw, uh, as you mentioned earlier on. Um, I think it's Gasquet in the first, and then it's potentially Evans um, in the second. Um, it's very, very dangerous, probably the, you know, fifth favourite out of the, the top four. Um, so let's look at Alcaraz. What are you thinking? Yeah, when it comes to the general narrative, I think it's definitely more of a 2-4 type of group right now. Whereas, yeah, at the US Open, we are all thinking, okay, they played each other in the final in Cincinnati. There's likely going to be a rematch. Of course, Medvedev swooped in, so it's not like someone random took out Alcaraz either. It was just someone who has a generally pretty unpleasant matchup against him. That's why it wasn't to be expected. But um, yeah, Djokovic never really, of course, close other than that Jerry much to, to falling out of the event. But uh, here it's definitely different. And I think both things you mentioned are the reasons why both sinners stepping up. Because even though before the US Open, he won the first ATP 1000 event in the warm-up swing. It wasn't like this. Like it was, it still felt like a great step for him. But it definitely didn't feel like something that really announces himself as you know a top four player. Whereas the even the Beijing 500 that already did you know the Alcaraz Medvedev wins back to back, and from that point onwards, of course, Sinner has been sensational. Like there's literally just one aspect of the game he hasn't excelled at yet, and that's best of five play. So it is a bit of a test for him. And at the same time, yes, Alcaraz had a mediocre for his standards second half of the year, I would say. It's not like he didn't have any good matches, but certainly there was like a lack of, you know, a title somewhere. Yeah. Um, it's not going to be his favorite swing ever, but at least in China, he should be doing better. Of course, I'm not really, ex- I wasn't expecting anything from him at the ATP finals, but still, he made the semis. It wasn't a horrible event for him, for, you know, by any means, really. So, um, yeah, I, I think he's going to be fine. He had a lot of time to prepare. In the warm-up swing, he only played that exhibition against Novak, where, of course, we don't really put that much stock into it. But still, I think they consider themselves the two biggest rivals and neither wanted to lose that one, that's for sure. So at least <laughs> yeah. we know that he's ready, he's healthy. Uh, I think Carlos, even a couple of days ago, uh, said, or maybe yesterday, today, he said that um, basically he would really like to play Djokovic in the final which again kind of shows, you know, how he's treating it. Like he he has Djokovic as the top rival yeah. and he wants to play him in the final. And I think Djokovic would say the same. I think yeah. even though Sinner has improved so much and has given him so much trouble, it would be weird if after Wimbledon and Cincy he didn't treat Alcaraz as the biggest rival. Definitely it's not, not a given that Alcaraz will make it there. 
Uh, yeah, Cascades, it's a super easy opening round, but after that, it can already get tricky. Daniel Evans, we've had him play twice uh, last year, both matches, exceptional shot making. They clearly enjoy each other, sort of company on the court and the vibe <laughs> that they have, the yeah. fun that they have with each other. But it, it was a tough match both times. You've got Bublik, who's always so un- unpredictable. Uh, you also have potentially Tommy Tommy Paul. Paul in the forefront, yeah. who was yeah. a very tough rival for Alcaraz. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like he just takes away a lot of the strengths with the drop shots and um, maybe also with how Tommy Paul is just counterpunching very close to the baseline. He really takes a lot of time away from Carlos. So it, it's a tricky matchup. Draper as well has been a tough opponent for him if it's Draper in the fourth round. So it, it's not easy. I would still expect him to make the semis. But yes, Zverev, I, I would agree that after the United Cup, he jumped up to a fifth favorite for me over Rune. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, and uh, yeah, I don't think you can you can get much trickier um, in terms of Carlos, especially for a number two seed. So, um, been unlucky with the draw, um, but yeah, we we watch. Uh, do you think Juan Carlos Ferrero not being there, um, you know, his his coach and mentor, really, will that have any adverse effects on him? You know, in terms of you know the the tougher moments, you know, turning to the guy who you know got him to where he is. Um, you know, do, do you think that'll have any impact? Hmm. I mean, Alcaraz is definitely um, someone who interacts a lot with his team, with his coach. There there will still be people there with him. So I yeah, guess course, they can yeah. sort of cover for Ferrero in a way. They won't be able to give him the same technical advice, maybe, or tactical. But I'm, I'm sure he still has someone else there who, you know, will be granting at least some of that. Um, the thing with, with Alcaraz, there are two big storylines right now. And like one of them is that Ferrero won't be there. And the other is that he didn't play a warm-up. And if he loses, like, in the semis, in the final, he wins the title, no one will be talking about that at all. But yeah. if he loses early, then we cannot escape from that topic. So I guess we probably will, you know, either have a shot of discussing this later or we simply it simply won't be relevant. But um, I don't know if that's a huge thing to consider. Uh, he's definitely had events where he played without Ferrero in the past and done well. So... I guess it's not a major thing, but for a player who interacts with his coaching box so much, it actually is a bit of a change, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's got the experienced Samuel Lopez, um, who will be taking charge in Ferrero's absence. I think Matthew quite rightly po- points out it's a knee operation for um, for uh, Ferrero. Uh, and I'm just looking at, at a quote that, that, that Carlos had said, and he just mentioned, you know, it's hard not having one Carlos here because he travels almost every tournament. He only misses one or two. Um, but he says, it's difficult to face a big tournament without him, but Samuel is with me and he's a great coach. Both Juan Carlos and I believe in him. In the end, we are a team. So, yeah, um, we, well, let's hope it doesn't, um, it doesn't really um, have any adverse effect on because we want to see the best players in the latter stages, talking about the best players. So we touched on him a couple of times. He's kind of the player that was on everybody's lips um, towards the end of last year, especially in that kind of enthralling ATP finals in uh, Turin. Um, you know, the way the crowd you know, bought into Yannick Sinner. I think he was at the San Siro. Um, you know, he, he really kind of made his name uh, with the Italian public. Um, and he's not really played much since then. Certainly another one who has not played a match. I think I, I read somewhere he said, it doesn't matter. He's quite confident in his ability and how much he's grown recently and how much he's improved. Yannick Sinner, um, talk to me about his draw, his chances, and I'm going to kind of go against the mold and say I fancy Yannick Sinner um, for this event just because of, of what I saw last year. Cool. Uh, I mean, as I said a minute ago, I think this is really the only thing he hasn't done yet. 
the only thing he hasn't been exceptional yet at it's basically best of five format uh, I don't think it should be a, a big difference for him. I think in the long run, he's definitely going to be okay with the form that he showed at the tail end of last year, for sure. He is one of the main contenders. I think it's it's pretty unclear who is number two behind Djokovic, among Sinir Medvedev and Karas, which already says something. And uh, yeah, the warm-ups, I think recently, uh, also a player, of course, Sinir, who has struggled with his fitness a little bit over the course of his career. And I think recently he's shown that he's like, he knows his body a little bit better now. He knows how to handle it in order to be at his peak physical capability in, in every match or like for the most important events, at least. So I, I also wouldn't worry about it too much. I do think that the first opponent that he has, Botting van der Zanskop, is probably like the toughest that he can get in the first three rounds. So it could be, could be a little tricky, but after like a couple of close sets, I would still expect Sinner to pull away at some point. And then it gets a little easier. I think Matthew earlier was saying, like, who can stop Sinner Djokovic from meeting in the semis? And it's pretty hard to find a player like this, yeah. He's in that section with the other high seeds being, um, in the quarter with the other high seeds being Rublev and Deminor. So uh, with Alex, of course, he's a phenomenal matchup, hasn't lost to him, just demolishes him every single time. And also you have... Um, you have Rublev, who I don't think is also that big a deal for Sinner at the moment. Uh, just uh, we've been saying for you know for years that it's a bit of an improved version of what Rublev is trying to do on the court, with just a lot more pace and a lot more variety as well right now with with the improvements of Sinner over the past year, half a year or so. Uh, the forefront as well is not looking too dangerous with like Kachanov, Tiafo, both these guys being in a very mediocre spot in their careers at the moment so yeah i think it's really looking like a djokovic sinner semi is kind of unavoidable and that's good that it's unavoidable because we do want to see the, these guys playing for five sets yes absolutely yeah no i, I couldn't disagree i think uh, just looking at his draw there um while you were explaining that um you know i don't see many uh many hurdles um putting the way in him but you never know with tennis you know like you say uh injury um you know anything can strike you know um heat you know people dealing with heat uh, especially in Australia, differently um, and, and taking to the conditions. So, um, but yeah, it's very hard to to not see Djokovic and Sinner. And of course, Sinner uh, starting things off, I think, um, on the Rod Laver Arena, I think. Uh, um, so it will be midnight or 1am my time uh, overnight. Um, so I think that's about 11, 12 o'clock um, there in uh, Melbourne. So um, yeah, so I'll, I'll be trying to maybe sort out the sleep schedule, maybe go for a, a, an afternoon nap to maybe try and catch some of the some of that um, early doors. Um, okay, so Medvedev then. Um, I've actually not had a chance to, to kind of explore um, Daniel's draw. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, again, another guy who I thought this time last year, I think he could be off corda in the last 16. I've said it so many times. Um, I've been really impressed by the way he bounced back from that because I, I feared he would you know, just come turn, turn a, a kind of another kind of journeyman in terms of the sport, maybe not making an impact in the in the, the big stages, but he, he totally proved me wrong in terms of his run after that. Um, and, you know, he, he got to the semi-finals of, uh, of Wimbledon, the final against Djokovic at the US Open, um, of course, going out early um, at the French. But, you know, he likes Melbourne. He's been in the final. He was two sets up against Nadal a couple of years ago. Talk to me about Daniel Medvedev and, and, and what he can do. Yeah, uh, he also isn't playing a warm-up, which I yeah. think is new to him. Uh, last year, he played in Adelaide, lost to Djokovic in the semis. So it, it's a little weird as well. I, it's kind of surprising that three out of the four 
top seeds aren't playing a warm-up event. It's mm. definitely quite new. But um, yeah, I think over you know over the course of his career, he's also like sort of learned what he needs and the sort of rhythm that he needs to be into to get into an event like this. I think he also has a pretty nice draw as well. Rusev Wari in the second round is like a decent threat. But do you really think that he's going to win three sets against Daniel? Probably not. I think first round is Atmane. Um, can't remember the, fir- the third round at the moment. But it's certainly a pretty easy, pretty soft section in the draw. The troublesome thing for like Medvedev right now, and we have it on the screen right now, yeah. Dimitrov in the forefront, I think that's one where people think he might be in trouble. Um, one thing that's sort of keeping me be- keeping me from uh, saying that is that Dimitrov just has a nightmare. Like from the early days, you know, Fuchovic, then Ofner Kokinakis, like giant killers only. Then you have Davidovich Fokina in the third round. So I, I first want to see Dimitrov even getting there because it's like really round by round one some of the toughest opponents he could have really gotten. Same really for, for Hurkacz later on, um, you know, higher up in this draw, who could be Medvedev's quarterfinal opponent. It could be Rune as well. I think if it's not Rune, it's gonna or maybe Dimitrov, it's gonna be very hard for Medvedev to lose before the semis as well. I guess the biggest worry right now for Daniel is that against Djokovic, he of course failed somewhat miserably at the US Open. Well, he had that second set, he had that set point in the second set, but still as a whole, definitely don't doesn't have good memories from that match. And against Alcaraz and Sinner, it seems that both matchups are no troublesome for him, which is Kinda weird because, well, against Sinner, he was once 6-0 up in the head-to-head, but he lost the last three matches. Yeah. Maybe in the best-of-five format, it would be a little different. Maybe he would like his chances to wear down Sinner a little bit more. But, um, yeah, still, like I, I can't honestly say that right now it's a problem for him that he landed in the Alcaraz section because, well, it was Alcaraz or Djokovic. So both yeah. cases don't seem too great for him. And also the fact that he could play maybe even Sinner in the final. Yeah, if he has to win both against Alcaraz and then Sinner or Djokovic, it's just hard to like Daniel's chances at the moment. And 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 that's the main worry for him, which I guess goes for the whole um, generation of Medvedev, Tsitsipas, Zverev, that the young guys are already better. And yeah, how do you, how do you uh, sort of overcome that? And I, I'm not really buying into Medvedev, especially if he has to beat... Uh, Rune, Alcaraz, and Djokovic, for example, back to back like that. That's going to be rough, but he is actually very likely to make the quarters, I believe, or the semis yeah. even. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I mean, uh, I was just thinking then, you know, in terms of the other four, then, so we 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 are pretty much in agreement, um, as you know, a lot uh, of the the tennis media will be saying. You know, it's hard to see past these top four guys being in the final four spots um, come the last few days of the championships. Um, So we talked about Zverev, you know, he's been playing well, he's he's, he's fully recovered from from that injury, wasn't this time last year. Um, Rublev, you know, Sitsipas, Runa, the other three players who make up the top eight. Um, Do we see them making any uh, imprints into the game? I mean, I know Sitsipas, he starts off with Berrettini, which is, one of the the tastier first round matches, um, you know that that should be a blockbuster. Um, but you know Holger Rune, um, you know he, he started to look as if he was coming back onto a game again at the tail end of last year. Um, but you know, can he make any impact and, and and maybe try and squeeze into that last four? Um, I I think so. Like I th- I think it's it's theoretically possible for him to to beat Medvedev. By the way, we're talking about Rune, right? 
Yeah, Hogarun. And then okay, come on to because I, uh, yeah. Okay, I, I, you know, I lost, I lost it for a moment. And Sorry, it'll right. be my accent, uh, Damien. It's my strong. No, accent. no, no. It, it wasn't actually the accent. I was just replying to a, a text uh, to a uh, DM. Okay, no problem at all. <laughs> I wish, I wish you yeah. just told me it was the accent. <laughs> <laughs> no, sometimes, sometimes I, I, I have to like focus on what you're saying, but most of the time, you know, most of the time I'm fine. But uh, actually, this time it was just a DM. But uh, yeah, Rune, I, I think because I was doing the the bracket, you know, the full bracket predictions thing yesterday, just just randomly, you know, I had five minutes. I don't really do it in a scientific manner because I think the whole institution of the brackets, like, it, it is a little stupid that you know one injury can basically like totally end your chances at whatever at getting it right. But uh, I did pick Rune over Medvedev. I just think if they get to the quarters, if both of them get. There, uh, Rune has a pretty solid shot at exposing, you know, the Daniel defensive positioning, how far behind he stays on the return as well. It, it's kind of like the Alcaraz thing, where both of them just have so much variety and so many tools to unpack Medvedev's playstyle. That I, I really like that matchup for him in general. Maybe, maybe not yet. So far, I guess he hasn't been that successful in it. But I think in the long run, Rune will be pretty uh, troublesome for, for Medvedev. So if, if Holger actually gets there, I, I really like his chances. And this is also going to be that year where, you know, we'll check after the offseason if he's already fine physically in terms of playing long matches at the slums and going deep. Um, that seemed to be maybe improving a little bit around Wimbledon. Of course, at Ron Garros, he still had massive fitness issues. So that's probably one of the main things. Uh, and also, he has a pretty tricky draw. Nishioka beat him in Adelaide last year, 2023, at the beginning of the season. Um, second round, well, Jarek Azor, they're both like, at, at the level that you know an absolutely peaking performance from either could really be worrying for, for any player, really. And uh, I think especially the third round. If Safiulin arrives there, or maybe even feels, that's one that we definitely will be watching out for. Uh, probably Safiulin is the biggest threat, although to Rune's credit, he did defeat Roman in Brisbane, so uh, maybe he'll have some confidence from that. But yeah, it, it's not an easy draw for Rune, so it's it's actually kind of likely that if he arrives at a later stage of the event, he might be a little fatigued. Forefront as well against Hurkacz potentially, or like whoever is in, the, in that draw as well. Um, yeah, Umber, Zhang, uh, Menchik maybe, because we, we do have the qualifiers, of course, by now. And Menchik is playing Shapovalov and then potentially uh, Hurkac or um, Jasika. So uh, I would say that uh, Rune just has a very sort of tough round-by-round -round breakdown of the draw. And that might be an issue for a player yeah. who has previously struggled to like keep it up over multiple long matches. And I wonder uh, what court, do we know what court his match is on yet? Um, you know, after him... I haven't looked uh, at the schedule, but... Him taking over Twitter, I think it was, um, at the US Open, uh, complaining about uh, being moved court and not being on one of the, the main show courts. Um, he was out in the sticks, I think, um, and he wasn't too happy about that. Uh, finally, Andrew Rublev, just in terms of the, the players, the top eight, um, Andrew Rublev won in Hong Kong right at the start of the year. Um, again, I, I, people were maybe talking like he's maybe added a little bit of dimension. He's not just all power anymore. Um, you know, have you been seeing any differences in the Rublev game? Has he been doing anything different to kind of actually try and break this, you know, cycle of, of, of getting close but not close enough? Uh, yeah, I think Hong Kong was just an event that he won, like playing on his 85% level, which is fine. Like that's the main strength of Andrei Rublev right now, that he has this base level, the foundation that he can always sort of just go back to. And uh, the B game, A game disparity doesn't exist really. 
which sometimes hurts him in the latter stages of the slams, like the quarterfinals where he's like zero and seven. But uh, I do think that this is a pretty nice draw for him in that he, again, has a very good shot at getting far. I don't know if I see him beating Sinner, though. And that, that's like the main issue here because we, we all expect yeah. Sinner to make the quarters. So it could be another quarterfinal exit. If he plays the minor in the forefront, I also think that could be a pretty close match. Uh, but basically, I just expect that, yeah, even if Rublev is again at his B game at like 80% of what he can do, it's still probably a draw that still sees him like in the quarterfinals, fourth round, whatever, some, somewhere around that, because it, it's simply like comfortable enough that he won't, ha- won't have to get out of that second gear potentially. Okay, lovely stuff. Okay, uh, and just talking about the, the, the first round draw, then we'll, we'll stick for this. Um, for now, I want, I'm going to put you on the spot about Damien, um, and I'm going to ask you three things. You know, I'm going to ask you shock of the first round. Um, where do you think the, the if there is any shocks? Where do you think that might come? I want you to tell me the, the match of the first round. Um, we, we, what uh, viewers or what the guys, the punters, what what match should we definitely be tuning in for? Um, and I want you to a- a- ask you, you you know a lot of these guys who have qualified, they've come through the challenge or tour, they've been on the scene, um, and the. Even if it's potentially their debut, who who will be the breakthrough? Do you think who's going to make a breakthrough? Uh, doesn't have to win it, maybe get to the second or third round, but maybe who who would be the kind of breakthrough you think that uh, this Australian Open? Yeah, I, I do have answers already for the last two questions. I, I don't okay. know about the first one, but I'm going to figure it out on the way. So well, I'll tell you what. Answer the first two, and then you, and then we, we can maybe come back to that one. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to start maybe from the, well, what my favorite Ramdon matches are. It's definitely not the mainstream BS like uh, Tsitsipas, Berrettini or Ojalavisim team. Yeah, <laughs> I understand why they are big. I understand why there's going to be a lot of spotlight on them. But no, that that's not where I'm heading to. That's not what okay. I'm going to be watching. Sounds good. Like a this is time. why I asked you so that I can I can go and look for this match that you're about to say. Yeah, my two my two favorite ones are uh, for one thing Safurin against Griekspor, and then the whole thing that can sort of result in that section. So one of these guys playing against uh, Fils as well. I think it's pretty clear that Safurin and Fils are one of the two like the, the two most uh, dangerous unseeded players in the draw, along with Draper, maybe Arnaldi as well. So um, the combination of them in this one section is amazing. But starting you know from the first round, which is what you asked about. I think Safurin against Kriegspor right now is, is definitely one of the one of the matches to watch just based on the Russians' form and how the uh, maybe uh, irregular the the playstyle that couldn't really be repeated over the course of the last few years. Suddenly he's like finding it all the time. I do think he's actually a fav- the favorite in this match, but I would be surprised if Kriegspor, even though he didn't start the year pretty to, that well at the United Cup, I would be surprised if he goes down quickly. And I think maybe even my favorite one is Maroshan against Cilic. Uh, Cilic, he played only that one match in Hong Kong. But I will still say that up until 6-3-5-2, he was insane. I couldn't yeah. believe how well he was playing for you know for that for that the break that was that long. And I was like, okay, so Cilic returned. He like waited enough for the return to make sense for the health to be in check. Um, of course, then he blew nine match points and lost. But I did enjoy it so much. And I think that Cilic potentially could have a run in this event as well. Like if he beats Maroshan, there's like Fritz in his section, then Tsitsipas when it comes to the seeds. I think he could play Franz Serundolo in the, in the second round. These are all gettable. I don't know if I can pick him for the quarters just now because, well, he's only had one match. He also played an exhibition, which I guess doesn't matter again. But he played a match. He got a win. 
he had yeah. that winning feeling, I guess, again, yeah. which clearly was an issue when he played Struff. You're not going to so, mention who he beat, are you? Um, uh, he played Andy Murray, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, cool, but cool. I, I wasn't sure, honestly. I, I wasn't following too much, but I was I was just, okay, so Chilich got a win. He he might have it a little easier right now to clinch something. So that's why uh, that's why I think Chilich actually can have a run here. And the reason why I think he's the favorite over Maroshan is just, I wasn't, ex I wasn't too impressed with Favi's performance against Shelton in Auckland. Uh, we were doing the commentary, I think, with Vansh for this, and he was like not playing his usual, you know, baseball tennis, like end the point in three or four shots. He was just sort of content with rolling it back into the middle for Shelton to to attack, really. And that's yeah. not the game that Fabian Maroshan is known for. That's not the game that brought him to the top 100. I don't know if this is going to continue because actually against Monfils in the opening round, he was you know just fine. So yeah. maybe maybe it's not a big deal. But uh, I see Maroshan, uh, I see Chilich as the favorite there. And if he does win it, if he is going to be like you know sustain, if it's going to be sustainable, that sort of quality that I saw against Struve. I actually believe in him having a, a bit of a run here. Uh, the breakout question, the, the third one, I think I have to talk about Jakub Menchik. I think Elena also said that she thinks Menchik versus Rune yeah. will happen. I don't know if I'm going that deep, but he definitely has a nice chance against Shapovalov. He, um, when Shapovalov played Ofner in Hong Kong, the returning was just awful. The second serve as well, but the return especially. So when I'm thinking of Menchik playing Shapovalov right now and the serve of Menchik against the return of Shapovalov, Wow, that's not even close, really. Uh, I'm probably even more impressed with Menchik that he actually qualified rather than for that round one match against Nakashima because he was facing some issues later against, well, players who are worse than Nakashima. And while I know that he can have a peak performance, which he certainly did in the past couple of weeks, both times against Brandon, then he actually handled Gaio and Mayo, who were making it a little troublesome for him with just... Yeah, just making a lot of balls and forcing him to play. I don't know if he played it smart, really, because especially against Gaion, there was a pressure point. He would just add even more pace to his forehand. But, you know, yeah. it, it worked out. He was landing it, so it's fine. And I think when he plays Hurkacz in round two, and that looks pretty... Um, like It looks very likely that he will, because Hurkacz has an opener against Jasika, he has against Shapovalov. I think that's actually a super close match. Uh, Hur in fact, Menchik a couple of years ago was compared to Hurkacz a little bit in the juniors. Okay. They have like a similar body type. I just think right. Menchik is a bit of a Hurkacz with more pace off the ground. Like Hurkacz who can right. actually play very aggressively off the ground. And uh, I do think that's a, it's a very good combination. And also against a player like Hurkacz, I think he'll be able to sort of survive the fact that he's, you know, the lack of experience isn't really going to matter. It will maybe be more important against a player who will just, yeah, keep the ball in play a bit more. But when it's just like a big serving contest, I think he's going to do absolutely fine. So, um, yeah, I would say that Menchik will be very tough for Hurkacz in the second round. And if he wins that, then the draw really opens up as well. Of course, it would be a, a huge thing for him to make the second week. But after all, he did qualify at the US Open. He made the third round. But through an easier draw. I mean, that, that I have to admit. Droguet or, uh, and Barrer were there, were his um, main draw opponents there that he beat. And of course, losing to Fritz on his 18th birthday. Now, when it comes to the upset of the first round. Mm. <laughs> you got it. Brilliant. Still not sure. Uh, but well, I'm looking at it. <laughs> just, while you, just while you do that, just to, to remind people um, about what's happening with the draw. Um, so the Australian Open, uh, with it'll be the top half of the men's draw is going to be scheduled Sunday, Monday, and the bottom half Monday, Tuesday. I'm just trying to find some of the matches. John has kindly put up the Shapovalov, Menchik, 
um, match. I think um, Marishan Chilich is on, I think, third on the... The one five seven three second on the one five seven three arena, so that could be you know about two a.m. through the night, um, and uh, and yeah, um, so so many different stories going on. I'm just looking at Rublev, uh, Wild Tiago Wild, um, so I think that one could be decent. Um, uh, so yeah, I just I, I I think we talked about this at the start of the U.S. Open in terms of. Um, you know, what's your favourite time of a, of a Grand Slam? And I, I think you said, you know, the first few days, you know, the first two or three days, just because there's just so much tennis on and there's so many different storylines. So, um, so yeah, I, I, it's exciting. Um, so, yeah, so where are we all? We were talking about um, a, a shock of the first round. John is suggesting Murray um, beating Echeverry. Um, there's a lot of people... That, that's not a shock, right? I was about to say, there's a lot of people in that Talking Tennis WhatsApp chat um, I mean, I would go at Trevain, but it wouldn't be a shock if Murray won, of course. Yeah, yeah, I think there's a, there wouldn't be too many happy folk. Um, at least four of us, I think, in that um, in the talking tenor WhatsApp, they would take exception to him calling that a shock. Um, anyone else then? Um, in terms of, um, is there anyone who might, uh, you know, Murray to push Djokovic in round three? Well, that would be lovely, wouldn't it? Um, yeah. So, any, anything else in round one that maybe? You just you think you know there could be a sneak of a of an upset. Yeah, it, it's actually kind of hard to find something. A lot of the sort of players that I think would potentially make upsets against other seeds are again are playing seeds that they can't really do much against. Like I don't know, Kepfer against Zverev, uh, in a, to uh, to an extent, Fuchovic against Dimitrov as well. But that could actually be close. But um, yeah, I, I definitely also have a few second round like potential shocks. Like Lloyd Harris, I think will beat Sebastian Korda in the second round, for example. Okay. And that's shocking at all. But um, I think this this is also not a shock at all. But I have this sneaky suspicion that Borna Choric will defeat Francis Tiafoe in the first round. So maybe enough, maybe you know, that's it. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, and it's funny because when I was just going through the matches, uh, that was one that you know I went. You know, nobody's actually talking about this. Um, it's like TFO is playing, uh, you know, his best tennis right now. Um, so, yeah, that could be a, another interesting one. I'll, I'll, I'll let you away with that one then, um, Damien. Uh, and, you know, a true professional would have asked you this uh, question uh, in a text earlier on this morning to allow you to to be ready for the question. So next time I'll make sure um, to give you <laughs> no, a quick no, time that, That's absolutely fine. That's absolutely fine. You know, I, I, I do know the draw. It's, it's just a matter of... No, they're not really being like many opportunities for shocks. It, no. it, it's not really a, a, a thing. Yeah. At, at first, I was like, mm, I don't even know which match <laughs> I should, I should, I should tell you. But right now, having looked through the draw again, like, yeah, one the, the shock potential just isn't really there in the opening round. I guess the, the players that we are expecting to go deep, they usually have a pretty simple opener. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I get that. Um, what else was on my? We've hit the hour mark, so I know we'll wrap up soon. Is, is there anything else about uh, the the Aussie Open then that you know people watching and listening, um, you know, should be keeping an eye out for at all? Uh, anything else you want to cover before we kind of do any other business? Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, it, no. it's basically a case of yeah, the top four seeds being so strong that we are mostly looking at who can beat them. And honestly, yeah. even the seeds of five to eight are really, uh, well, other than Tsitsipas, I guess. But then Tsitsipas also has a nice draw. If he if he actually gets through the first few rounds, 
I think Marin Cilic could stop him. <laughs> I'll I say that again. You've but got a yeah, sneaky the, the other seeds, yeah. I think you're 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 you've got a sneaky one for for Cilic going to at least yeah. the quarterfinals. Quarterfinals. Let's go, yeah. Marin Cilic quarterfinals. <laughs> I'm gonna say it. And just also, it doesn't really matter who plays Novak Djokovic in the quarterfinals, right? So yeah. I can say Marin Cilic, and it still doesn't impact the event that much. Because if it's free or City Pass, it's literally the same for Djokovic. But yeah, that, that second quarter is just pretty uh, quarter. That second section is just pretty weak to me. And uh, the seeds, especially there, Fritz, Sweeney, uh, sorry, Fritz, Serundolo, Musetti, City Pass, they're all vulnerable. But yeah. other than that, like seven of the top eight seeds, I think have a very good chance of making it in, into the quarterfinals. Maybe Rune is the one with the trickiest draw. But otherwise, the other six, uh, it's going to be tough to stop them. Maybe Rublev can be stopped by like the minor, but especially the first five alongside, um, well, the first four plus Zverev, they kind of look like locks for the quarters. And hopefully it's not going to be like that, you know? Hopefully yeah. it's going to be tennis giving us some weird, some weird or wild, I don't even know which word I wanted to say, but weird or wild upsets again. Yeah, yeah. And John's just showing us there that he's only got one picture of uh, Marin Cilic's. It's probably the third time I've seen that, that picture on our screen. So um, I think he needs to try and invest in more archive uh, photographs. Um, just to finish up then, you know, um, it's, a, it's an exciting time. It's on the eve. There we go again. Um, the one sole picture he has of Marin Cilic. Um, uh, I was going to ask you um, just other ATP news or other ATP goings on before we wrap up. Uh, have you watched uh, new season Breakpoint yet? Have you seen any of that yet? Me no, and I'm not um, going to. Uh, I watched yeah. one episode of the original Breakpoint and it was actually in Bonn because John was watching it and I yeah. was like... Uh, and John made I mean, you do it? John had you no, 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 a chair actually, saying actually not, watch no. this? He was just <laughs> watching it in the living room and I was like, right. I, I think I was about to go to bed but then I just sat down and ended up watching this <laughs> you know i was sort of curious like i wasn't curious enough to watch it on my own but if it was already there you know and i i, I had someone to sort of talk, talk about it with yeah. as well at the same time i was like okay why not it was yeah. the madrid episode of uh like jaber badosa yeah. and exactly yeah yeah and i found it very very um like weird in terms of Bland. it doesn't really go for like any group for hardcore fans no for casual fans not really and for people who just start out with tennis not really so that's why i'm also not interested in breakpoint season two at all from what i've read on twitter it it has like changed the narratives a little bit but it also hasn't improved there's the big elephant in the room when it comes to zverev as well yeah yeah, yeah. There's, the, there's the there's the thing that they don't really show the match at all i'm not saying this has to be about the match only i know that would maybe be better for the hardcore fans then but like even the casuals i really struggle to see how it would make people like get interested in tennis however uh recently i think it was anastasia who told us i think that at the us open when she was there she, like there was a lot of people waiting around for an alia tomjanovic practice for example mm -hmm. and that they were actually all there because like, like they but didn't know tennis at all they but just they wanted her. to see yeah berettini's girlfriend like literally and yeah. uh, because of breakpoints. So that was weird to me. Like that was the first time I've heard something like this, that someone actually got interested in tennis enough to go to the venue at the US Open because of breakpoints. Like I, I felt like I was in a different reality when she told me this. So um, I don't know what to think about that. I certainly feel like a lot of the casual tennis fans that I know here in Poland, no one watched breakpoints. 
Fair enough. No, I I, I uh, haven't watched it. I just I actually watched the first I think six episodes of season one and then didn't return to it when it came back in June just because I I wasn't captivated uh, by its content. Um, I, I agree with you. I think you know people like yourself and I and others maybe want to try and you know get under. I find the real behind the scenes not that it just feels all managed. It all it all feels kind of staged doesn't it? Um, and then my final question, um, how have you been getting on with the new ATP website? Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I just wanted to gauge your thoughts because um, I've heard mixed reviews um, and, uh, you know, people don't like change. So uh, I thought, uh, why not just throw it in there as at any other business? So ATP website, yes or no? No, no, no. A big no. no. I, I don't know why we should improve on something that was already good in the first place. I think the ATP yeah. website, especially compared to the WTA, was awesome. There yeah. was a lot of easy to get info, you know, sort of on the first click. Whereas right now, sometimes there's info that I can't even get to. Like, for example, the career high uh, ranking, thankfully, came back. But it's all a bit messy still with this sort of UI. And uh, there's a lot of info that I now have to click like 10 times to get to. I hope they will be fixing some of that. I think the graphic design actually isn't that good either. There's like some random banners when it's like a random pattern and nothing <laughs> there, for example. There's this one black and white thing that I, I really don't understand how it makes it onto a website like this. It, it, for me, it, it's definitely um, sort of even uh, making my life harder with some work that I do. I know it's, it's like this for a lot of people. I basically a few things that I was able to get off the ATP website in the past. Now I have to get to other sources for it. Right. Yeah. I have to go go to other sources, and of course these other sources don't have to function forever. Uh, so you know because they're not done by the ATP, they're not by, done by a huge corporation. They're like passion projects. So um, yeah, it, it could really be troublesome in the future. But um, I think the only one, the, the only thing that works better, well, works better. No, actually, it is designed better. Is the new Challenger TV look? It, okay. it looks yeah. really neat. It's easy to switch between events. It's easy to see sort of what's going on at, this, at right now. Which, if you're like more maybe a, a fan who's not turning on to the, the the match that you want to watch, but just you know, just turn on, turn you turn on Challenger TV and oh, these matches are on right now. Like that's really easy, and I like that. It's just that it's also not working properly. Like today we had the Oedash final, for example. Huge next-gen clash, Leandro Ridi, Martin Dam, and the stream isn't there. There's still issues with the replays. There are also issues with like, um, this is even hard to explain, but like there's a, there, there's a match going on and it suddenly jumps back to a previous time in that match. And it sort of jumps back and forth. I tried to explain it to the media manager of the ATP Challenger Tour. I don't think he quite got it, but you know, he sent it over to the tech support. It hasn't improved since. So yeah, th there's a lot of things that don't work or like just are extremely weird right now on the ATP website. I absolutely hate it, but at the same time, you know, there are, at least for now, we have other sources to get this info from. Yeah. So. I'm fine with it. I just wish, especially Challenger TV, would start working a little bit better. I understand that there there has to be a sort of a uh, you know introductory time, even especially as um, not only the graphic website of uh, the the graphic um, update of the website, but also the, the the whole Challenger streaming changed in that there's better quality and uh, the streaming system. Uh, I guess the provider was probably is probably different now. So I understand there's a bit of a learning curve for them as well. Yeah, uh, but I do hope that some of the issues that people have been raising will be addressed pretty soon. Yeah, 
well, um, yeah, don't don't fix uh, what ain't broken. I think we say. Um, yeah. But listen, Damien, good way to finish. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to you know engaging with you over the next couple of weeks about what is going on. Um, we are on uh, the, the eve of the Australian Open. The sleeping patterns will be gone for the next couple of weeks at least. Um, but yeah, um, thanks very much, Damien. Guys uh, who are watching, hit the like uh, button, subscribe to the channel. Um, we're on 5223 subscribers. Um, we need to try and get to 6,000 by the end of March or John Silk will make us watch Breakpoint Season 2. So hit the like and subscribe button. Um, I've been Tom Grant and, uh, and Damien. So yeah, thank you very much, guys. Um, and we'll speak to you again soon. All right. See you later. If you enjoyed this video, make sure you hit that like button. Don't forget to subscribe and click that notification bell so you don't miss out on all things tennis. Sports Social Podcast Network.